Jordan Peele's 2017 film Get Out was an Oscar nominee for Best Picture. Now he keeps the horror going with us. The film stars Lupita Nyong'o as a mother whose whole family is confronted by their own doppelgangers. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're scaring ourselves silly this week with us. Here with me and Stephen in the studio is Glenn Weldon of NPR's Arts Desk. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Linda. And in our fourth chair, coming to us from New York, is film critic Monica Castillo. Hi, Monica. Hi, Linda. And you saw this in, uh, in Austin at South by Southwest, so you were one of the first. Yes, that was quite an audience to watch a horror movie with. <laughs> I bet it was. I saw, you know, I talked to you about the fact that I saw Cabin in the Woods there on opening night of South By. I was there for that screening. And I bet that this was a similarly rowdy crowd. Oh, yes. Right. Quite rowdy, quite responsive. It was wonderful. Fantastic. I'm going to come back to you in a second. Glenn, talk to me about how you felt about us, the creepy movie that it is, scared the heck out of me. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Uh, Some really arresting visual images that are, I'm not going to forget anytime soon, some really solid scares. Lupita Nyong'o is asked to do a lot, which Mm -hmm. is good because I want to see more of her. She's asked to do a lot. Uh, You know, as you mentioned, there's a doppelganger element to this. Some of the stuff her doppelganger did didn't quite work for me, but we can talk about that later. It's important to stress, we're talking about how scary it is. This movie's also funny. I want Mm -hmm. people to know that going in. This is a funny movie, both big larfs and really small character beats that really, mm-hmm. really work. This is Jordan Peele. He's going he's gonna to use his gifts. Uh, I think the fact that a good portion of this horror takes place in a well-lit lake house and, uh, you know, on, on an amusement park that's uh, by the beach in the broad daylight is important. That means he can't rely on a lot of the crutches that uh, horror movies do. I do not think it works as cleanly, as efficiently with the kind of ruthlessness that Get Out does, but we can talk more about that. Yeah. Monica, what did you think? Uh, you gave this a positive review, yeah? A very positive review. I gave it four stars over at RogerEber.com. I was just smitten with it. I was amused. I was scared. I jumped out of my seat and I laughed a lot. I just had so much fun with this movie. Um, but yeah, kind of speaking to what, what was just brought up about the settings, those are places that you feel you're supposed to feel safe in. And those are supposed to be like happy places. Like it's vacation and it's family fun. And then that's not what happens. Yeah. People showing up at your house is is always going to be scary. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah, unannounced. <laughs> and that's obviously, a, a, you know, an old horror trope. But It's like Glenn said, there is imagery in the way that some of these kind of classic horror images are executed. There there are specifics to it that they're just unsettling in this great, great way. Stephen, what did you think? Yeah, I had much the same reaction. I, I sort of balled up in my seat and found kind of late in the movie, like, why do I have a headache? Oh, it's because I'm so tense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the horror movie elements of this are so effective. And I think... Jordan Peele's ability to leaven that experience with humor is really important, not only just for entertainment value, but for the stakes that you attach to these characters. Right, exactly. Uh, the Lupita Nyong'o's husband in this movie is played by Winston Duke, mm-hmm. uh, who's you know a heavy in Black Panther, and here he's the goober dad. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there's a moment fairly early in the movie where he's like struck physically, and you're just like, you can't do that to goober dad. <laughs> no, no, no harm can come to goober dad. Yeah. I yeah, like Goober Dad. That's true. And so I think that that really affects the stakes that you're experiencing and, and your level of attachment to these characters. I do think once this movie gets into a little bit of the grind of trying to explain what's mm. going on, right. it loses its footing a little bit. I think it is most effective as just a white knuckle horror movie. And I had 
very visceral reactions yeah. to to the to the scares. Jordan Peele has become a master image, like kind of image crafter. Mm-hmm. Some of the visual cues in this movie, some of them are are obviously echoes of other horror movies, but the fact that the doppelgangers have these like kind of red. Like, like, like the, the red they're, pajamas, the red pajamas, there's suits, right? Jumpsuits. There's yeah. there's beautiful work with color mm-hmm. in this movie in in just ways that are that are extremely striking and memorable that will stick with you for a long right. time. And I mean, Jordan Peele is somebody who knows how to make a film where you have a very dark skinned actress like Lupita Nyong'o who's in the dark a lot of the time and make that look great, mm-hmm. which I think. Traditionally, there have been directors who don't know how to shoot that properly so that she is as luminous as she is, even in the dark. I just think it's beautifully shot. I think she looks amazing in it. Mm -hmm. It's one of those films where we've talked before about ones where you can kind of tell that the filmmaker is in love with the person's face. Mm -hmm. And I think for sure you get that. Monica, I was interested to in... What is going on with kind of roles in the family? Because Stephen talked about Winston Duke playing kind of goober dad, which I would agree with. This is definitely a horror film about a family under attack that even with the dad present and participating suggests that this is the mom's fight. Yeah, and I think part of that also leans into like the doppelganger side of the family. She's so clearly the leader. Mm-hmm. She it's a very like sort of matriarchal setup and even in the regular family, Lupita Nyong'o's character Adelaide has a little bit more control, seems to be the one who's, you know, has the final yes or no on whether or not they go to the beach and things like that. Uh, So I think there's a sort of deference of power even to both sides of those characters, even if they're opposites. So that was really interesting to see. It was also really interesting to see them line up that scene where they finally confront each other in the living room Mm -hmm. is just one of the creepiest, uncanny (sighs) scenes. And I just I I need to watch the movie again to really appreciate all the differences between just their performances and the physicality. I mean, Lupita walks through that house in such a creepy way as the doppelganger. And it's completely different in the way that she walks around the house as Adelaide. Yeah. Yeah. There is a piece where she talks about that she and Jordan Peele, when they talked about the way that that character moved, Mm -hmm. they called it Queen Cockroach. (laughs) And I think... (laughs) I think that's right, but I think it's even creepier than that. And there's also, and you can see some of this, you know, if you've seen the trailer or clips or whatever, she has a very barely present voice that feels very effortful. She's croaking. She's croaking. She's got this weird, just the, the physical performance is so interesting to me. And like Monica, I got to the end of it and I was like, okay, well, I have to watch it at least one more time. Having seen the whole thing all the way through, now i got to watch it all the way through. But the funny thing is, very often with horror movies, I spend most of the movie dreading the jump scare, dreading the somebody getting shot. Um, mm-hmm. To me, every movie becomes less interesting once somebody has a gun. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, I don't mm-hmm. think there are guns in this movie. I don't movie. think so either. Um, no. So the scare, what I love about the scares is they are of the right kind, which is you are ahead of the characters a little bit. And if you see this, and this this goes back to what Monica and I were talking about, about her seeing it in Austin, 
I would say see it in a big yes. theater on with a busy night with a busy with a big crowd because we saw it with a big crowd at the screening and just the the reactions both the kind of funny you know when something was happening there is a lot as with Get Out there's a lot of the stuff about like don't go in there sure, like. Yeah. The whole thing that Get Out is is named after. Yeah, well, let's talk about Get Out compared to this a little bit because it was about many things. One of the things that it was about was about performative wokeness. You know, white folk who explicitly reject racism while figuratively and literally embodying racism. And the story that Peel told slotted so neatly into that theme yeah. that they started to kind of get power off of each other. They drafted off each other. They Whatever, whatever you want to say. They, they worked in tandem. Mm-hmm. Here... And this could just be my gut reaction. And as soon as I start to read some smart pieces like Monica's and some think pieces that will bloom over the weekend about this film, I, I will have a better understanding. But I felt a thematic muddiness. I wasn't sure what it was trying to say at all times, even though I knew it was trying to tell me something. There's a lot of symbolic elements here. I don't want to you know ruin any of them, but there's just a lot of things and things that are happening at the corner of the screen that are clearly there for a reason to not just look cool, but to actually get you one of several meanings. And the thing that I felt about it was that those meanings were all being inserted at the same volume. So I couldn't quite tell Mm. what we were supposed to come away with besides spooky movie. And if that's it, I'm all for that. Well, there's there's an interview with Peel where he talks about the fact that Get Out, he understands that Get Out turned into more of, as they put it in that piece, a social thriller, Mm -hmm. more like Rosemary's Baby, whereas he really wanted this to be a pretty straightforward horror film. And obviously, a straightforward horror film where the central family is black is still, that asserts something, and it's, it's not that it's not relevant, and it's not that there aren't parts of this film that I think are profoundly about race. Um, And I think, you know, you're going to want to read a lot of different critics on this. And this is one of the few things I would commend Rotten Tomatoes to to people for is, you know, go read a lot of different critics because the reviews are just starting to come in. And there are going to be a lot. Three women that I that I think are always worth reading. uh, Valerie Complex at The Mary Sue, Joelle Monique at Geeks of Color and Joy Childs at Slash Film all have early reactions up. I think you will get a lot out of reading a, a lot of different critics about this film. But I think a lot of it is a movie about being pursued by a version of yourself. And right. to me, mm-hmm. that's a that's thematically adequate to me, <laughs> to be creepy. Yeah. I mean, in a way, you could see that as growth, right? Because horror is simple. It plays on our most basic primal fears, our most basic uh, impulses. And it also speaks to society because society is an attempt to not suppress them, but like to mitigate them, to get them through, to have us build a collective society that uh, that deals with those fears. And so bring on the horror that is not about one simple thing. Yeah. Bring on bring on the horror that's not like the slasher, which is about the assertion of normality. And uh, anybody who goes against the norms will be punished. Sure. Uh, bring on something a little bit more rounded and, and subversive. And while this film has, as you say, a family at the center uh, and asserts a lot of, you know, pretty basic family values stuff, it is at the end, in whole, subversive. And when it was more subversive, that's when I was really digging it. Well, and I want to mount a defense of the muddiness of this movie. I went through a lot of this movie thinking this is going to get tied up in a in a big bow and and that there's going to be this big reveal that suddenly I'm going to find out exactly what this is an allegory for. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And and let's let's bring up M Night Shyamalan here mm-hmm. <laughs> and say that that if there had been some like really really neat metaphor 
it would have started to feel like, okay, this is the new Jordan Peele movie. What is it a metaphor for? Right. Exactly. No, I see what you're saying. And, and I think that making a little bit more, it's not a straight ahead horror movie. It is still a complex film. I tried to describe right. <laughs> to my partner last night what this movie is about and, and, and struggled. The fact that it is not simply duplicating the formula of this massively successful and important movie, I think really works to the long-term benefit of Jordan Peele's career. That's what I mean. And we're talking about this film. I think we can agree that all four of us are already looking forward to the next Jordan Peele Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. Knowing that it is not going to follow a template. Right. Exactly. See, I didn't find it as muddy watching it. Like, I, I liked that it wasn't, you know, spelled out for me, that it wasn't spoon-fed, that I had to kind of sit and think. And actually, while writing my review, I kind of sussed out, you know, a little bit more of what it meant to me. I think one of the themes that come up, and it, it was kind of in the promotional material as well, is there are these ink blots out there. And how you interpret those ink blots are kind of how you're going to interpret this movie. So for me, I really read into the issue of class and marginalization. Uh, you know, at the very beginning of the movie, there's talks about underground tunnels. What kind of images and themes and stories does that bring up to you mm-hmm. and how people get pushed to the sides of society and how, you know, whether you like it or we like it or not, that society is sometimes complicit and we as a culture as a whole reaffirm those inequalities. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think that's all there. And I think what thrills me about this film and what thrills me about Jordan Peele as a as a director and a creator is that a lot of the commentary that came out around Get Out, a lot of the big kind of think pieces and the major conversation that I read had a lot to do, and rightly so, with how incisive it was and how how much it was saying very specifically about racism and, as Glenn said, performative wokeness and stuff. But what I love about us is that although I think there is still a lot of that thematic brilliance behind it, and I agree with what Monica is saying, I think there's a lot about class. I think there's a lot about violence against marginalized people, and and that's certainly true. And you can always think of doppelgangers as, you know, what could have happened to you, the you you could have been instead of you. Mm -hmm. But I also think that this film is a great opportunity to also just appreciate what a brilliant stylist Jordan yes. Peele is. Oh, and totally. the opening shot of this film, or kind of one of the opening shots of this film, begins as a shot of an animal. I will just say that. Mm-hmm. And then it changes, it grows. The music mm. is so interesting and strange. It reminded me a little bit of Benjamin Britten, even though I don't think it is. <laughs> the score is extremely unusual. It's not just the needle drops, which are so clever in a couple of different ways. Yes. And so... <laughs> Mind oh for gosh, humor in wonderful so ways. So <laughs> communicative and fun. But the score I loved, the way he shoots the faces of the doppelgangers so that they they are the family but they're also not the family yep. um the way he shoots the doppelganger of the daughter you feel like it gives her a different face entirely yep. yeah. and i love the fact that i think even though there will be plenty of conversations about where this film is thematically i think it also really spotlights just how good he is at making a movie. <laughs> yep. And also uh, Shahadi Wright-Joseph, that's the actress playing the, yeah. the daughter. She's great. Yeah. She is yes. also called upon to do a lot yeah. in a lot of different ways. And just keep an eye out for her. She's great. I wanted to say one more thing. You know how like we'll go see the movie Frozen, let's say. And then a couple years later, before another animated movie 
there'll be a, a, a short film that's like Olaf's big day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we visit one of the characters from Frozen having a, a separate adventure. I would like the next Jordan Peele movie to start with a short in which Winston Duke tries to drive a boat. <laughs> <laughs> I found Winston Duke driving a boat to just be so delightful every yeah. time it came up. There is so much good boat humor. <laughs> He's so earnest, too. He is. The tonal balance in this film is so hard to do well. Yeah. As, as Stephen said, it is still really funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I just think it's so, it is so good. I just want to talk about this movie for five hours, but we can't. Um, <laughs> look, a lot of you are going to see us this weekend. Let's face it. Come and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet at us at PCHH and tell us what you think. When we come back, it's going to be time for our favorite conversation of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? So come right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchised network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that home brings year after year, home after home. All that more they do, that's home services. Start your home search at BerkshireHathawayHS.com. Julia Furlan here. Don't miss my chat with Greta Lee. You know her from Russian Doll. Sweet birthday baby. Sweet birthday baby. Sweet birthday baby. We talk about New York comedy and fashion and her own HBO deal. That's this week on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's time for our favorite segment, What is Making Us Happy This Week? Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week? Well, to tie up our South by Southwest coverage in a nice, tidy bow, if you go to nprmusic.org, by the end of this week, there should be roughly nine excerpts from the Tiny Desk Family Hour, a wonderful show that NPR Music put on at South by Southwest, in which we had nine different artists perform at the Central Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas, one of the best places to see music there, in part because nobody's vaping. Um, Those nine artists uh, who you can sample are Galen Lee, Cautious Clay, Mountain Man, Fragile Rock, Gina Chavez, Amanda Palmer, LaCaylee 47, John Paul White from the Civil Wars, and Wycliffe Jean. Mm. And they are all magnificent and uh, and and beautifully shot and I, I'm, I'm excited about sharing them uh, with everybody also I've talked at great length about the Austin 100 which you can continue to stream on Spotify I also put together a little bonus list last week called the Austin 100 alumni edition which yeah, has 52 more bands that you can sample that weren't on the Austin 100 mostly because they had been on the Austin 100 in the previous few years so if six and a half hours of new music discoveries isn't enough for you there's another three and a half hours uh, for for a tidy little 10 hours uh, for you to enjoy and hopefully find and discover and love your new favorite band. Beautiful. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Glenn Weldon, what is making you happy this week? I like music. That's, that's my hot take. <laughs> uh, but as I get older and they just keep making more of it. Uh, I, it's, uh, no, I don't I know. <laughs> I, I start to worry that I'm going to end up I feel like I'm already on Marge Simpson's path. Marge Simpson, who famously said, music is none of my business. Uh, <laughs> and I don't want to end up there. So what I do to combat that is listen to a podcast like uh, Song Exploder and Pitch and uh, Hit Parade, like we mentioned last week. What they do is they particularize a song or a passage of music 
they take a sea of noise and, and, and turn it into a series of notes, and they show how they work together. That's great. Now, I like music. I love jokes. I feel like I have a more central understanding of language and of, of how jokes work, which is why I'm so glad I found Good One, which on one level is song exploder for jokes. The Vulture editor, Jesse David Fox, interviews comedians and comedy writers about their favorite joke or their favorite bit or their favorite sketch, and they proceed to dissect it together, how it started, how it changed, how it went from not working at all to working. The Ray Romano episode has a really good bit about how this one joke about his son getting stranded on the highway as soon as he said the word Mazda, as opposed to what the car actually was, it worked better because Z has Mazda has that funny Z sound. So Fox is a comedy nerd, but he's also a really good interviewer. So it never devolves into that bookstore reading, where do you get your jokes? Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where do you get your ideas? Yeah, and it also never devolves into what it would happen if I was doing the interview, which is just Chris Farley and Paul McCartney. Right. What's right. it like being it's, awesome? Exactly. Yeah. So I've been binging on this like crazy. Start with the Mulaney. Start with the Romano. Start with the Alparna Nancharla. There's is a big library of these episodes so it's great you can pick and choose whatever your favorite comedian is to start that's good one a podcast about jokes hosted by jesse david fox nice i will listen to that thank you very much glenn weldon monica castillo what is making you happy this week so this is a little odd because it's not making me happy but i'm gonna focus on you know the show one day at a time which last Mm. week they unfortunately announced uh, they being netflix announced that uh they will not be giving the show us fourth season on the platform So now the showrunners are trying to find a new home for it. And I just kind of want to encourage people who haven't had the chance to check it out or who haven't caught up with the third season to really give it a shot. I wrote a a really passionate, um, if I may brag, uh, a really passionate (laughs) kind of op-ed, kind of defending what the show meant to me to see like a Cuban-American family in the center of a sitcom. And where can people find that op-ed? That's at the Washington Post. Heard of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's great worth. local paper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's over at the Washington Post. And then actually um, a colleague of mine over at Romescla, Vanessa Arraso, has another great op-ed um, at the New York Times about the same situation that, you know, we feel really passionately and strongly about this show and we wish to, you know, see those stories continue and that it wasn't such a rare occurrence that we get to celebrate a Latinx story on television and film and things like that. Yeah, could not agree with you yeah. more on all counts. Bad non-renewal, but great show to sit down and give a try to if you have not already. Thank you very much, Monica Castillo. What is making me happy this week? I'm going to go with the HBO documentary, The Inventor, which if you have been on Twitter this week, you have probably heard (laughs) about this documentary, which is about Elizabeth Holmes, no relation, uh, who developed the uh, the uh, idea of testing a one drop of blood instead of taking blood, which was going to revolutionize medicine. Uh, her company, Theranos, uh, which some people in the film pronounce Theranos. I don't know which it is. Um, her company was a, you know, attracted a million investors and she got this board of directors made up of like old men who were like old military government guys who all worshipped her. She only wears black turtlenecks. It's one of those movies about a Silicon Valley person whose entire thing fell apart. It's directed by Alex Gibney, who does great documentaries of this kind. I really recommend that you check it out. It is both horrifying. It is, it's one of those things that is funny but not funny. And it just makes you realize how full of malarkey 
<laughs> capitalism is. Uh, I really do recommend it. It's entertaining. Again, it's called The Inventor. It's now available on HBO through all of their various platforms. And that brings us to the end of our show. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find me at Linda Holmes. You can find Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can find Glenn at G.H. Weldon. And you can find Monica at MCasty Movies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I Movies. You can find our producer Jessica Reedy at Jessica underscore Reedy and our producer Emeritus and music director Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif. That's K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band Hello Come In provides the in and out music you are bobbing your head to right now. So thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. And for more of our writing and the lowdown on what's making us happy every week, please subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash popculturenewsletter. And we will see you all right back here next week. 